You're listening to the Bears Brothers Podcast and Post Game Show, the place where Bears fans across the globe hang out online after every Bears game. Now get ready because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. We're sitting here, and it's the middle of the bye week, and to be honest, it's kind of a bummer not to have a game to preview, you know, all week long. But alas, after this week, we do have 12, maybe more, games to break down in a row. I'm Harold DeWitt, and I want to welcome you to our State of the Bye Week episode. Today, we're going to reflect on the first quarter of the season, but also project forward at the remainder of the year. So for this, I'm joined by my co-host and fellow Bears brother, Nicholas Moriano. Nick. You are fresh off of witnessing that prolific passing performance on Sunday at Soldier Field. Number one, what was it like watching that in person? And number two, can you just like describe the atmosphere that was rocking Soldier Field? You know, really, it was just much needed to see Mitch Trubisky have the game that he did. Seeing him just go out there, hit open receivers, make all the passes, it was much needed, and the crowd really felt the, you know, the energy. Every time he connected with a pass, you're just like, yes, this is the Mitch Trubisky we've been waiting to see, we wanted to see, and it came to fruition in a blowout, you know, victory over the Bucks. And the energy was amazing, you know. Even despite in that second half of the game where the Bears are clearly gonna, you know, run away with this game on third down, it was as loud as it was in the first quarter when the Bears defense is just getting out there trying to get off the field. The the defense. Uh, you know, just kind of brought that energy every single time, uh, you know, the Bucks are going to go try to make a first down and it just didn't happen. So despite them being, you know, up by God knows how many points when it was in the second half, the, the electricity in the stadium was there from start to finish, but it was just a great game to honestly be at. You know, these are going to be like, this is going to be a moment that I'm going to reflect on like 20 years down the road. Remember, you know, telling my kids, you know, uh, nickel, uh, nickel, Nicholas, he gave me a, uh, an offer to go to this game. And I ended up saying no, because I wanted to save some money. And I ended up missing one of the best passing performances in Chicago bears history. So kicking myself in the butt for not showing up, but, uh, Hey, someone had to hold down the fort here on the post game show. Exactly. And I, I really thank you for that. Allowing me to go see history, which is awesome. But I mean, I was telling even my friend that that I went with, um, you know, this, we're going to look back on this day and hopefully say this is the day that Mitch Trubisky, you know, turned the page and just got his, you know, Chicago Bears, you know, as a franchise quarterback, you know, career going. And so that is cool to say. Yeah, he said the same thing. He's like, hopefully this is a game I can look back on and like recall, like this is where it all began. And I think, you know, you, me, all Bears fans listening as well are kind of on the same page. So for the say the bye week, we're going to approach it just like our post-game shows. We're going to start off with our opening segments, have an in-depth discussion on the offense, then the defense, and finally we're going to wrap it up and even answer a couple of fan questions via voicemail right here live on this show. Nick, you ready? Let's do this. Awesome. So let's go ahead and just dive right into our opening drive for the bye week. And I'm going to go ahead and give you my monster moment of the first quarter of the season. And honestly, there are just so many great moments so far this year. But I think if I had to just choose one to top them all, I'm going to go with Prince of Mukamara's pick six against Seattle because 
not only was that a huge play, uh, you know, for Prince who got his first interception since 2015 and his first ever pick six in his life, it was crucial for the Bears in order to win that game. Remember, at the time, Seattle had the ball near midfield. They were down seven with less than seven minutes remaining. And they just scored a touchdown on their prior possession, and their defense followed that up by forcing Chicago to go three and out. So Seattle had all the momentum, but Prince went ahead and took it all back and made it a two-score game with time winding down. You know, without that play, we may be talking about an entirely different record after four games. So for me, Prince of Mukumara's first ever pick six is going to be my monster moment of the first quarter. And now usually we're going to go ahead and do uh, Brandon Sad the first quarter, but Nick, we're going to change the order since you're here. What's going to be your next snack of the first quarter of the year? You know, I have to give it just to the defensive play through four games. And look, I'm just going to read some some of the statistics that they have over these four game span. No rushing touchdowns, 65 points allowed, which is tied for fourth in the league. And they're second in the league in rushing defense by one yard uh, only behind Philadelphia. And here's the thing with that statistic. The Bears haven't been blowing out people uh, other than this Buccaneers game. So it's not like they've taken the run game out of, you know, the game plan for opposing offenses just that defense has really been dominant just shutting down an opposing you know running game which is great to see and only being behind philadelphia by one yard being in second place is great they also have 18 sacks which is first in the league eight interceptions second in the league the buccaneers team was coming into that bears game last sunday with fitzpatrick going for three straight 400 yard games he ends nine of 18 126 yards one interception and then replacing the second half so this Bears defense, and we knew, was going to have to carry this Bears team early on in the season. But really, it's done more than just carry them. It's won games for them, essentially. And this Bear, and alluding to your monster moment, we don't know if Prince Mukamura doesn't make that play. Who knows if the Bears actually win that game? So this defense is just playing lights out, number one in the league, in my opinion. And I think that is deserving for the knack of the year so far. <laughs> there you go. I was like, the year's over? What happened? <laughs> All right, so for Brandon's stat of the first quarter, which is actually going to be my stat, Brandon was unable to make this week's podcast. Uh, so my stat through the first four games of the year is going to be uh, more about this defense, but more specifically, the 1.8 red zone trips allowed per game because there is a lot of buzz running the Bears' pass rush numbers and you know, leading the league like Nick just mentioned in sacks so far. And I agree, you know, these are very exciting and important, but what has me really excited about this Bears defense is its ability to keep opponents out of the red zone because that 1.8 trips allowed is the fewest in the NFL. So in other words, the Bears defense is the best in the league of not allowing opponents to reach the 20. And just to compare last year, uh, that Jacksonville Jaguars defense, they were best in the league with a 1.9 average. So right now, the Bears are on a better pace than the Jaguars. So again, I think you know this number excites me more than just the sacks just because of how it directly correlates with uh, the Bears' low points uh, allowed. So just want to give you an example here, too. Indianapolis, they're second in the league with 16 sacks, but they've given up 3.2 red zone trips per game. That's almost double. Um, actually, I think that is double if my math serves me correct. No, it's 16. <laughs> Poor math. But regardless, it's nearly double, and they give up 25 points per game despite having 16 sacks. So for the Bears having just 1.8 red zone trips allowed, to me is evidence that the team's doing more right than just getting after the quarterback. All right, Nick, so I want to know, what's the lowdown? How and why did the Bears end 3-1 and one after the first four games? I mean, credit to the defense, but again, this team is coming with a whole bunch of new personnel and Matt Nagy, and I think that just brought life into this season, thinking that they can compete with some of the best teams in the league, and you saw that with the Green Bay game week one. But, 
even though the offense has had their struggles, it's still far better than what we've seen in years past. And I think that is credit to, you know, why the Bears are three and one. And also the opponents they face again, you face who you face each and every week. And, you know, it's tough to win a game uh, in the NFL despite the opponent. But there have been some injuries uh, that have gone to the Seattle Seahawks. Arizona has their injuries and, you know, play a rookie quarterback. Um, and obviously Tampa Bay had all most of their secondary guys out. So, yes, you can credit uh, some of the opponents they've played. But again, it all goes back to that defense, really just shutting teams down and just giving the offense at least opportunities to win games. And, you know, the Bears had the, the ball the, the last time against Green Bay Packers in that last fourth quarter drive and were, a, were unable to, you know, move it far enough to at least get a field goal. But, yeah, there's 3-1 and one because their defense playing lights out. The offense is making strides in the right direction. And you have a new guy, Matt Nagy, just bringing life to this Bears, you know, all-around all team. And I think they just believe they can win, which is something that hasn't happened here in Chicago in a very long time. Absolutely. For me, though, it all comes down to exactly what you just said. Defense, defense, <laughs> defense. There's a reason why we won the three games we did. Held Seattle, Arizona, and Tampa Bay to less than 20 points. And they scored some touchdowns along the way themselves. They forced 11 turnovers. Uh, they've done a great job of getting off the field. And with the offense you know, kind of struggling against Arizona and Seattle a little bit, it was a defense that kept them in the game, you know, kept the game within grasp. And then uh, they came up with those huge momentum-altering plays as well. So even if you want to look at Green Bay as well, like you mentioned, that loss, we can almost point at the defense too for giving up the, 20, you know, the 21 points in the fourth quarter. So no matter which way you spin it, I think the defense is why we're three and also the one. So that's going to be my lowdown. Let's hand it over to back to Nick, and it's time to hand out our MVB, which you and I were talking right before we went live, like who should the MVB be? And honestly, there is no question, right? Yeah, there's no question. And we both agreed to this, that it should be Cleo Mack. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. He's almost in, he's not even in contention for just defensive player of the year. He's in the race for the MVP right now with some of these great quarterbacks that are just putting up outrageous numbers. But Cleo Mack has been just such a difference maker with you know, Leonard Floyd being a guy that ha doesn't even have a sack yet. We were looking for him to be that guy, but you could bring in the Cleo Mack and the entire defense, like we've said countless times, just gets astronomically better because he's on the field and he's just able to disrupt passes. When I was at the game, uh, at the Bucks game, you're just thinking to yourself, fans are, we're all kind of looking around when he has another strip sack. Like, are you kidding me? He did it again. This guy is impacting the game, uh, you know, each and every snap, but, for the sake of not just picking Khalil Mack and, you know, Will and I, like we've both said, we can definitely do that. I'm going to give it to Danny Trevathan. He's another guy that, you know, his defense really does revolve around his play. And if he's, you know, able to roam around free like he has been this season, he makes impactful plays, getting sacks, getting interceptions, leading the defense, calling out the plays. He really is a great player just roaming in the middle of that defense for the Bears. And if it wasn't for Khalil Mack, Danny Trevathan would definitely be the guy. But it, it all comes back to Mac, no matter what, right? Five sacks, four forced fumbles through the first four games of the season. He also has uh, that return interception for a touchdown against Green Bay, 17 tackles, 24 total pressures on quarterbacks so far. You know, he's single-handedly, you know, altering games, and he just made everyone on the defense better ever since he came here uh, just about a month ago. Actually, a little over a month ago now. Time's going slow yet pretty quick. But for the sake of giving you something different, I think this actually brings a very strong argument. I'm going to give two more out here. 
It's going to be to uh, Jason uh, Lascalzo and uh, Casey Kramer. They are the Jason's the head coach of the strength and conditioning department, and Casey's the assistant strength and conditioning coach. Because in Chicago, as you know, we've had a tremendous amount of injuries over the past few years. And knock on wood, you know, the Bears, they're in great shape through the first four weeks of the season. Right now, we only have uh, two players who have hamstring issues with uh, Prince of Mukamara and Marcus Cooper. And Anthony Miller, he's recovering from a dislocated shoulder. Those are The, the dislocated shoulder is nothing you can prepare for whatsoever. It's just kind of a, a freak thing that happened. So overall, they did a super job, you know, these coaches have by getting these players um, in great shape and being able to create a very healthy roster. And just to put it in perspective, Nick, at this time last year, we already had 10 players on IR. So obviously these two guys are the obvious choice for the MVP because they're keeping these bears on the field. They're keeping them healthy. So for me, if I had to give another MVP besides Khalil Mack, I'm going to hand out two more. It's going to be to the strength and conditioning department of the Chicago bears. That's a good one. I didn't even think of going that route. I mean, I was going to ask you, do you have the numbers of between the first four games, how many guys are on IR? And you just told me 10, I mean, especially, and I can't even imagine what positions they would be, probably starters, most likely starters, impactful positions. But the Bears have been relatively clean, which is, you know, encouraging to see because you don't want to have any of those big-time injuries, which a lot of NFL teams are already having thus far in the season. So good the Bears are, you know, staying relatively healthy. Yeah, I mean, we've been on the short end of that stick for, you know, over the last half decade or so. Too. So to have a very healthy team is something that I'm not going to take for granted, and I hopefully uh, Bears fans too don't because sometimes it's easy. You get caught up in the numbers. You get caught up on what happens on the field. Um, but we just look back last year, a couple years prior, with all the players that they had missing games due to not being able to play with injury. I just feel so comfortable and confident with this team that can do because we have our starters out there. Where the money's going, those players are out there able to make plays. And I think that's kind of showing right now with this team, especially in the defense, because they've been so healthy. And that's why they've been able to kind of pick apart every single offense that they've uh, kind of countered you know squared off against so far so yeah that's going to be my mvbs and let's go ahead and just swing right into the second quarter of this bye week special and let's go ahead and just start with the offense here which we do for the second quarter um and i just want to kind of give you a rundown of where they kind of stand in terms of some uh statistical categories uh the bears offense is currently ranked 22nd in yards per game eighth in points per game 23rd in passing 10th in rushing fourth in time of possession 14th in turnovers 13th on third down and 16th in red zone efficiency. So Nick, you know, I just laid out all the rankings and just to kick things off for the offense, I want to know what has been maybe your biggest takeaway or two throughout the first four games for this side of the ball. You know, honestly, and with this offense being relatively new and bringing all the new components, I'm surprised that the Bears have been able to move the ball as effectively as they have been. They have been able to move the ball. They just haven't been able to score at times. And you alluded to the time of possession and, um, you know, the points that they've scored so far this season. But I'm just relatively surprised with, you know, everything that needs to cohesively just go into making an offense run, keep drive sustainable that the bears have been able to do that relatively well throughout the first four games of the season. I just was not expecting that to happen. And obviously they have their lulls at times and in quarters and in halves, but it has been getting better. And we saw what it could be on the last Sunday against the Buccaneers, but I am surprised at how effectively they are able to move the ball. Now they just got to be able to finish. Yeah, no, exactly. If you would have told me that Jordan Howard would just have barely over 200 yards rushing, but the Bears would be fourth in time of possession. If you would have told me that week one, I wouldn't believe you. But that's exactly the case right now. So my biggest takeaway was actually just right along the same lines that you had in terms of the Bill, the Bears' ability 
to maintain time of possession, uh, establish longer drives. I really thought this offense was going to struggle a little bit more than it did. And I think that's why we do get a little bit frustrated when they do struggle because we see the drives. We see them being able to move the ball against defenses. I mean, it all came together last week against Tampa Bay, but just a couple weeks prior, you see him, you know, march down the field for six minutes and then you come up empty handed or you have to settle for a field goal once you reach the red zone and it stings a little bit. But I mean, the good news is, I think it's ahead of where most of us they were anticipating them being throughout four weeks. And now with the bye week, uh, for them to just take some next steps, it's going to be really crucial for uh, the remainder of this season. All right, Nick, let's kind of go into our positional specifics here because that's what we do in our post-game shows. That's what we do all offseason. That's what we're going to do here. And let's go ahead and just begin with Trubisky because he didn't throw a touchdown in half of the games um, that we've played so far to this point, but he's coming off that monster performance where he just had five touchdowns in one half. So I want to know, what's your evaluation of True at the bye? Uh, give us both the good and the bad. Yeah, so obviously the game on Sunday really did help him. Just the narrative that was going around about Mitch Trubisky being a bust, and obviously he silences down doubters with that game. But you still want to see him each week just make improvements because you're not going to throw for six touchdowns and have the completion percentage and do what you did against the Bucks every single week. That's just not going to be uh, sustainable. So um, what I've seen from him so thus far, at times he can be inaccurate. We've seen that through, you know, at least the first three games, especially where there's just points left out on the field because he's missed throws or decision making at times. We think we can allude back to, um, you know, Cardinals game and the Seattle Seahawks game where a uh, guys are he's throwing in very questionable places where there's maybe two, three defenders, just not the best decision making for Mr. Risky, but. Sunday's game shows what can happen when you have perfect game planning, when you take advantage of opponents um, in just the scheme that you're running. Mitch Trubisky can, he, he can also, he can be inaccurate and he can also be very accurate. We saw that. So there's two sides to him. So we just want to continue seeing after this bye week that he continues to be accurate because he was very accurate coming out of North Carolina. That was his, that was his forte really. So that's what I want to see from him coming out of the bye against a Dolphins team that got shut out and blown out by the New England Patriots be another great opportunity, even though they have some good secondary players. But for Mitch Trubisky, one, it starts with his footwork, and it looked a lot better last Sunday, and that was something they you know, struggled with within the first three games. So just improve the little mechanics things. Those will go a long way and you know, play dividends towards the end of the season. Yeah, no, I agree. His, you know, his inaccuracy issues all come down to his footwork and how he's stepping up in the pocket or not. Uh, the couple of balls that sailed on him last week were due to him not really stepping into his throws, trying to arm it. And that's when he kind of sailed a few high. So for him to, you know, just be a little bit more cognizant when he's in there in the pocket is going to do wonders for him. Another area where I want to see improvement out of Trubisky uh, is just how he can handle pressure. Because so far this year, when he's really struggled, it's been when, you know, there's been pressure in his face. Uh, he's only 11 of 20 for 115 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, but just a pass rating of 72 when under pressure this year. But we saw how good he can be when he's kept clean. That's what we saw at Tampa Bay. He had time to sit back in the pocket. He had room to step up in the pocket. He had enough time to let some of these longer plays develop, allowing these playmakers to really kind of, you know, get down the field and allowing Trubisky to go through his progression, which I think we saw him go through his reads much, you know, much more calmly and smoothly against Tampa Bay than we have all season long. So hopefully he can build upon that. And just another underrated aspect of his game uh, so far is his ability to tuck and run with the ball because so far this year, he has 117 yards on the ground. He's averaging seven yards every time he kind of you know tucks that ball and takes a scramble for it. 
Um, he's averaging 30 yards per game. He already has picked up six first downs with his feet. Um, that's not even going with the 45 that he's done you know, with his arms. So over 50 t- first downs so far this year have come on either the arm or the legs of Trubisky. So for me, uh, you mentioned all the, all the good things about the passing. I kind of hit a couple more negatives I want to see cleaned up, but I just want to make sure I give a little bit of you know love for his ability to make plays with his feet too because earlier on in the season, I told him not to do it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he did, he's doing it in a little bit um, better capacity now where he's not just that, – that's not his second read. His second read isn't, my first guy's not open, I'm going to run. Now he kind of feels that he can see them playing man, and if he has enough room, he's going to you know take off and go for it. So for me, those are all good things. I see a Trubisky, and I want to kind of see him – uh, build upon anything else you want to see from true anything you want to mention about you know, his place uh, so far the buy yeah one last thing uh we saw him really target Allen robinson early and often you know within those first three games but you see in that last game he's really distributing the ball to whoever is open and that's why five different players caught a touchdown in that game uh against the tampa bay buccaneers so that's what i want to see trubisky do do don't just target one guy because he is your guy we saw jay color do that with brandon marshall and alshon jeffrey target him regardless if they're open or not but Mitch, just throw it to the open guy. That's what makes this offense so dangerous. That if you maybe uh, a team does take away their number one offensive target, well, there's four other guys, five other guys they can distribute the ball to. And he, you know, Trubisky did, like I said early on, target Allen Robinson. But I hope he gets away from that and kind of just distributes the ball to whoever is open. Yeah. I mean, that's what this whole offense is kind of built for. And it worked out really well last week. And if he can continue to do that, I mean, it just makes sense. I know he. As a younger quarterback, when you have other veterans around you, and especially someone like Allen Robinson, who's such a big target, it's easy to easy to kind of cater to them and kind of lean on them. But as we saw, it's very successful if you can spread the wealth and kind of keep defenses guessing on like where exactly you're going to go with your throw. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're talking about these guys already, you know, Allen Robinson and some of the others. Uh, speaking of these targets, uh, you mentioned uh, Allen Robinson. He's leading the team um, with 217 receiving yards, uh, averaging 54.3 uh, yards per game and 12 first downs. I'm curious your thoughts on not just Robinson, but just a couple of the other targets and I'll kind of clean up afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, I've liked what I've seen from Allen Robinson early on. Didn't expect him to actually be as productive as he was catching as many passes and, you know, just being Trubisky's go-to target just because you never know how a player is going to come back from an ACL injury. But yeah, that's been a very bright spot for this bears offense. Just having that, you know, number one receiver, that Trubisky can look to and rely on uh, just like the way he's running the routes and catching the ball. Uh, great aspect of his game. And I really like, again, what we saw from Taylor Gabriel last game. I wish we would have seen more throughout the first three games, just stretching the field, not, not just on, you know, horizontal routes with the screen game, but send him deep Mitch. That's what Taylor Gabriel was brought here for on those play action plays where you just get him out in space and, you know, have him go, Go just get a ball. You saw him dive out for that Trubisky throw against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I like what I've seen from Gabriel in that last game. Continue to do that as well. Same thing with Trey Burton, a guy that didn't do much the first three games. or He started to do some some things in that Arizona game, but really against the Buccaneers. Everyone had their career day against the Buccaneers, really. Yes, they did. Yes, they but, did. Uh, yeah, I like seeing that. That's what we need to see more. Just have these guys stretch the field vertically. Now, it doesn't have to be just a horizontal game those quick passes from Mitch, which has led to a good completion percentage. But the, these guys are meant to not just, they're very versatile. They don't just have to run those types of routes. That's what I want to get at. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything you said. I mean, Alad Robinson, he was at security blanket uh, throughout the first three weeks and Trubisky didn't look at him as often as he has in the past. And that's a good thing because like you said, spreading the ball out 
And Trey Burton, he's someone who specifically I like to see his growth each week because week one, he only had uh, one catch on six targets. And now he's gotten a little bit more effective. He was uh, the next two weeks combined, he had eight catches on nine targets for about 75 yards and a touchdown. And then last week, I mean, he had the two big plays, he had two big catches that went for over 40 yards, which of course kind of skews up exactly what averages he has now for uh, the year because I think he's at 16 yards per catch because of those two catches right there, which is a very pretty stat. But you have to keep in mind exactly where the majority of those yards came. Um, and then let's not forget Tariq Cohen in this category as well because, I mean, he had a monster performance last week with over seven catches, over 100 yards, and, of course, uh, he was able to f- – yeah, he was able to find some pay dirt as well. And Tariq Cohen, he's actually fourth on the team in receiving with uh, the 14 catches, 170 yards. So he's kind of getting himself more involved, which a couple weeks ago, that was my biggest thing. I, was, I said, we need to get Tariq Cohen more touches. And it worked out really well last week, and I anticipate them uh, you know, using Cohen in matchups in which they deem fit as in matchups they think he can really take advantage of, but also kind of hiding Cohen in some other games where maybe he's not having the best matchup, which... It's kind of preposterous to think about because I feel like Dree Cohen's always a matchup advantage. <laughs> and then let's not forget, you know, Anthony Miller too, real quick. Dealing with that shoulder, but before he was kind of starting to get acclimated to this offense as well, kind of coming into his own, uh, making some strides. And then my only other takeaway for this position, it's I'm, I am modestly surprised that Kevin White has not seen one target yet throughout four games. Uh, and Josh Bellamy, he's caught all three of his targets, including that touchdown last week. Anything else about the Bears wide receivers tight ends? I know Deion Sims has been a uh, pretty quiet. Only two catches nine yards so far this year. Uh, same thing in terms of the other guys. No catches for Ben Broniker. Uh, same thing Daniel Brown. So it's been a very quiet performance from these tight ends. A unit that was a big position of strength heading into of course the regular season and we haven't got Adam Shaheen yet either so I'm assuming when he gets there that'll change the dynamic a little bit but I'm surprised that Trey Burton's far and ahead of the rest of the tight ends. I thought it was going to be a little bit more spread out. Yeah, and, Will, you said Josh Bellamy caught all three of his passes? Three for three, wow. 28 yards. That is, that's something that would not have expected, but he has gotten a lot better. And to allude to the tight ends, yeah, I'm surprised that when Adam Shaheen went down, we didn't see more Daniel Brown and Ben Broniker. The best play from Ben Broniker and Deion Sims is blocking for, I think it was Anthony Miller on a screenplay. Maybe it was Anthony Miller. It was on in that Arizona game on the right sideline. Um, that's the best play from you know those two tight ends, and that's all we can really say about that. But I am surprised that we haven't seen more um, especially Daniel Brown in the passing element, because with Shaheen going down, you you think that's just another guy that steps up. Because Deion Sims, still he he's he hasn't done anything for me, uh, blocking wise, catching what anything. That game, I don't know, it's just not seeming like that pick that free agent acquisition is really panning out as as of right now. No, it's not. I actually want to see exactly how many snaps he's played so far this year, because I know it hasn't been a ton. Uh, so as that loads over on my screen to the right, let's go into transition over to uh, the Bears running backs because Jordan Howard, he hasn't been much of a factor to this point in terms of production, at least. Only averaging 3.2 yards per rush, barely over 200 yards on the ground so far. Uh, he has been an improved receiver. In fact, he does lead the team with the yards after the catch with 74. Um, wow. But it's odd that he wasn't really, I'm going to say, quote unquote, needed last week against Tampa in order for the Bears to do all the damage they did. Now, I understand Tampa had a decent run defense, and of course, uh, the secondary is vulnerable, so they wanted to attack that heavily. Um, but when you put up 48 points and you don't even need your primary back, I think that's a good thing because that means you can use him later on in the season and you can find ways to beat defenses without even needing 
that guy. But what's just your thoughts on Jordan Howard? Is he so, are you so confident he fits in this offense moving forward and that he's going to break out, return to form in this offense throughout the rest of the year? Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm not too worried about Jordan Howard. I think with him, it's more of a situational kind of thing, and that's what Tampa Bay was. The Bears didn't really need him because they were really attacking that defense vertically, and Jordan Howard's not that kind of guy. A lot of running backs are not people that you're just going to send vertically on a, a, a vert. It's just not happening unless you're a three cone. is a little bit of a hybrid between that receiver slash you know, uh, running back as well. But, yeah, Jordan Howard, I'm not really too concerned about it. He'll get his touches. There's going to be games, especially when it gets colder. You're going to want a good running back who could just pound the rock, who, you know, just gets better as the game goes on. That's where Jordan Howard is going to really come into play. Last Sunday, if you're, you know, discrediting Jordan Howard being a guy that doesn't fit in this offense based off of last Sunday, that's not the way to go about it. They were attacking that young Buccaneers secondary and, you know, rather have Tariq Cohen doing that on some. Uh, you know, vertical routes or just getting behind the defense rather than Jordan Howard doing it. It doesn't mean he's a bad player. He just didn't, scheme-wise, it was more suited to Tariq Cohen, and that's what you want. You want to have guys that can do a little bit of both. But, yeah, I'm not too concerned. I think, you know, after this bye week, Matt Nagy's going to really utilize both Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen um, even more going forward because you need to have a good running game, especially playing football later in the year, which is actually going to mean something for the Chicago Bears. Absolutely. Real quickly, thoughts on how Cohen's been, you know, utilized so far. He's averaging uh, over five yards per carry. He's also averaging 12.1 yards per catch. I feel like he's kind of uh, becoming a bigger part of this offense, of course, as the season kind of rolls on. But just what's your take on Cohen and what do you expect from him uh, coming out of the bye for the rest of the year? Well, I think it's something that we kind of predicted in the offseason, thinking that Tariq Cohen would be more utilized as a receiver, and he's been effective there. So it's nothing to a surprise right now, and I'm glad that he's getting the touches that he is because, um, you know, he, he last season, Tariq Cohen just didn't get enough. It's with so many weapons, with Matt Nagy having to, you know, put people in and out. I think Tariq Cohen's getting, you know, a good amount of touches right now, uh, utilized both in the running game as an, and as a receiver. So yeah, I like how Nagy's using him right now. Uh, still, you want to get him the ball as many times as possible because you just know he makes plays. He's definitely a guy out in space that, you know, a screen route can be, you know, a 20 yard gain. So yeah, I like how they've been utilizing him and we, we were kind of alluding it to it in the off season that we would see him more as a receiver than as a running back. Yep, and so far, I mean, he does have more rushing attempts than he does catches, He's but still, I mean, he has, well, he's about even in yards, too, so that's good. I okay. mean, that means it's keeping yeah. teams, you know, they don't know exactly what to expect out of Tariq Cohen. Hell, sometimes I don't know what to expect out of Tariq <laughs> Cohen, which, of course, is a good thing if you're a fan because it kind of keeps you on the toes as well. All right, Nick, let's go ahead and just transition to the offensive line. I want to know like our evaluation of that unit because they have kept Trubisky, you know, pretty darn clean throughout the so early portion of the season, only allowing 10 sacks and 28 total pressures, which, by the way, Trubisky, he's credited with seven of those pressures. Uh, so it only drops down to 21 on the offensive line throughout the first four games. And this comes on 140 total dropbacks. So what's your just your take on the Bears' offensive line so far? I think they played really really well and especially that last game Mitch Trubisky had all day to throw there weren't many times where any of those bucks you know interior defenders were getting even close to Trubisky and you know when they were Trubisky was running with it but yeah there are times where uh, a lot can just go on Trubisky for maybe taking a bad sack or you know taking a just a bad play because there there initially was good blocking up front and I think where the offensive line needs to improve and this will help Jordan Howard is just, you know, creating those running lanes for him. 
I think that they've been better as pass blocking than they have run blocking, which is, um, you know, strange because the Bears were last year. I definitely better run blocking team than they were pass blocking. But uh, you bring in Harry Highstead and, you know, I guess it kind of switched reversals. But I think that, you know, as the season goes on, come more, uh, you know, even with the run blocking and pass blocking. But yeah, you got to be impressed with what they've done. And, you know, we start to, we start, we got a chance, a glimpse to see what James Daniels can be in that offensive line. And I think that was smart rather putting him in when an injury happens where it's just like, okay, you're in, go, go play the game. You know, kind of just getting um getting his feet wet basically. So I like what they're, what they did there. And I think that was the right team to do it against because it was like a blowout and, um, you know, just gives another opportunity for a young guy to, you know, get reps with the, with the starting unit. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like James Daniels is at the pool all summer so far, and he's getting close to the water and he just dipped a toe last week, just kind of testing it out. And then of course the bears are kind of, kind of bring him just along. I think. Right and sooner or later, <laughs> rather than later, he will, which is going to be really exciting because he looked really good in his, you know, limited action against, of course, Tampa Bay. But yeah, I'm going to just kind of echo the same things that you said, so I'm not going to take too much time here, but I'm just enamored of just how well they've been in pass protection all year long. They've really been like a brick wall up front because, you know, Trubisky last week, he was just applauding, you know, crediting the big guys up front. And I mean, he's 100% correct by doing that because they kept a big and clean pocket all game. You know, they've had a very more of, They've been much more than solid up front uh, protecting the quarterback because they do have also, again, PFF, take it for what you want to, but I'm going to at least mention it. Uh, they have the highest pass blocking grade of a 90.7 out of all teams, which is two points ahead of the next team, which is the LA Rams. So again, I know, of course, PFF, you can you know, take it with a grain of salt, but at least according to their metrics, the Bears have the best pass blocking you know, offensive line. And I don't know, how could you not be excited at least by hearing that? And then, yeah. I think it's just obvious. We need to see improvement in the running game. We have the third most rushing attempts, but we are only ninth in yards. And if you take away Trubisky's scrambles, that ranking actually drops down near the 20s. So they can't be one-dimensional, especially as the season wears on. We really need to kind of get this ground game going, especially Jordan Howard. So it's going to be up to the offensive line to do a better job of creating push, reaching the second level, and just keeping backs untouched near the line of scrimmage. And you know, one other thing, we haven't heard about a lot of white hair snaps and bad snaps, which yeah. is a great thing. Not, not a lot about um, white hair uh, snapping issues and Kyle Long just Kyle Long just looks like he's rejuvenated a new person again, which is so great to see because when he gets going and Brandon could probably talk about this all day long, but Kyle Long is a, you know, just a X factor on that offensive line when he is healthy and it's great to see. And both tackles are playing really well, uh, too. Bobby Massey, he's been solid. Like, he's given up, you know, I think he actually has given up the most pressures on the team, but with your right tackle, that more in times is what's going to happen. And But he's done a much better job. I think Bobby Massey, you know, we gave him a lot of crap two years ago. Last year, we gave him less crap. And so far, we haven't had to give him any. So I know it's only four games in, but he's really kind of stepped up his game as well. And Charles Leno Jr. on the left side, he's been steadily progressing, too. So this offensive line, uh, they had a lot of potential that's played decent over the last two years. You bring in a new coach in Harry uh, who kind of, you know, changes some things and you can see the adjustments were paying off pretty well for the Chicago, at least in pass protection. We still have some work to do, of course, on establishing the run. All right. So taking a look at the offense as a whole, Nick, as we kind of start wrapping things up, what's maybe the biggest strength of this offense and the biggest weakness so far to date? Oh man. I think the biggest strength for them moving forward is just the, 
the versatility of formations and plays that Matt Nagy can bring each and every week. I think that, you know, a lot of teams, these defenses, obviously they don't know exactly what Matt Nagy is going to do. And that's, that's exciting for fans. But as a defensive coordinator, you're just thinking, crap. Okay, now what do we have to game plan for this time? Is there going to be two tackles out there, uh, you know, blocking for a receiver? Or what are the complexity the complexity of these routes that are going to come at maybe my young corners or my, you know, veter- even veteran safeties that they just need to be super aware of? So I think that's the big strength. And, you know, that strength also, you know, equates to Mitch Trubisky maybe having good games. And just overall, these the guys that are in the system, they benefit from that because this can be what we saw last week. Busted coverages, wide open people, because the routes, the the complex plays, the variety of plays really allows for these playmakers to just make plays. So many plays. Plays, so plays, many plays. Plays, 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 plays on that's how they do plays it. Too. On plays. They build yeah. plays on plays. Plays it's on all plays. It's all coming all coming together here. Now, can we just agree real quick on the weakness and that's just their inability to really establish Jordan Howard right now? I think that's really about it. Like they have more weaknesses, but I think like the biggest one on this unit. Yeah, and obviously you want to see him score more points. I mean, last game was, you know, the 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 coming out party, but overall they still need to be able to finish drives with points, and it's all going to start with Mitch Trubisky. He had a great game. We got to see more continued uh, progression still. I know the stats are slightly skewed because of how often they moved the ball in the red zone last week, but at least over the last three weeks, their average is 70% touchdowns in the red zone, which is much better than it was a year ago. Yeah. It's about on par with what it was a year ago because we didn't get to the red zone a lot. So we scored when we got down there. Um, but Green Bay was very atrocious and it's gotten better as the season wore on. I agree. Red zone efficiency is going to be huge. It's going to be key to especially winning some of these games down the stretch. Um, but I think, and that honestly is a huge weakness. But I think none of that's going to happen unless you kind of get Jordan Howard going. You know, three yards per carry isn't going to cut it. You get to December and you need to establish a run. We, we need to have Jordan Howard right there. Uh, doing the thing and the offensive line needs to step up and, and to allow that to happen. And of course, if you do that play action works and Trubisky, I think proved even against Tampa Bay, that's how effective he is on play action. Something that I mentioned about a week ago in the preview podcast as well. So for me, my biggest strength on the offense though, is actually just going to be personnel, just a plethora of those playmakers because we saw last, last week, lots of evenness really across the board when it comes to receiving stats, especially uh, the top four bears in receiving production so far throughout four games are within 50 yards of one another. Targets are pretty distributed uh, distributed uh, rather evenly, you know, and so on. We knew coming into the year that the Bears had a bunch of new weapons, and we we're all kind of curious, you know, like how was the wealth going to be spread? And it's fairly even right now, which makes it kind of difficult for opponents to kind of key in on, quote-unquote, the guy to shut down the offense when there are just a handful of competent playmakers because they all have a different style to them, and they can beat defenses in a variety of different ways. So you try to shut down one, the Bears can beat you with another. And once that becomes more consistent, once Coach Nagy, once Trubisky can kind of really tailor to this week in, week out, not it doesn't have to be to the same degree that we saw against Tampa Bay, but just more than we saw in weeks one through three, then I think we're really going to start seeing this offense just take off weekly and put up some really nice numbers. All right, so offense, Coach Nagy or Nick, what's going to be your bye week adjustment? Ooh, bye week adjustment? Um, hmm. Good question. I think a lot of teams still moving forward are going to want to blitz Trubisky. So just improving on, you know, how to adapt to the blitz packages is definitely going to be something that the Bears are going to work, not just, you know, the next couple of weeks, but 
moving forward, you know, into 2019, 2020. Those, those are things that can really, uh, for a drive, you can keep a drive alive if you can be, if you can adapt to the blitz. And I think that's just something that with a lot, with still Trubisky being in year two, teams are going to want to see if he can, like you said, handle pressure. So if Matt Nagy can build a great game plan to be able to pick up the blitz, know where the hot routes are, that's going to really play dividends moving forward. I think Mike is going to preach what we've heard throughout training camp and heard uh, that we've been talking about in this podcast throughout the season is finishing. Like you talked about earlier too, uh, especially in the red zone. I don't know exactly what adjustments need to be made. I'm not an NFL coach. Uh, so that's going to be up to, you know, Nagy and his staff to kind of figure out they have gotten better, but it needs to become uh, more consistent because we haven't able to move the ball. And that's really evident by a bunch of different stats, including time of possession. Um, but I also believe the Bears defense is helping out because they're getting off the field really quick. So the next stat I look at here um, is punts per game. The Bears are averaging 3.5 punts per game, which is the fifth least in the NFL. So the Bears are punting uh, in the top five in terms of at least the least amount, which to me is a very good sign about the health of this offense. And just real quickly as a final thought, you know, I'm personally expecting the offense to continue to make strides forward all season long. I think we're going to have a few more games where maybe those, quote, growing pains are kind of come back up for Nagy, Trubisky, um, and the rest of the offense. And I think that's to be expected. Uh, so just when those games occur, that I hope that, A, that's nothing too overpowering that's going to kind of take us out of those games. And, B, I hope that we all remember as fans that growth is not linear, but sometimes it has you know ups and downs, peaks and valleys. Um, but as soon as they can kind of continue to trend upward as a whole consistently – I really expect the rest of the season to be, you know, just very exciting as this offense finally solidifies that identity. Because if they can do that, play confidently, I'm expecting more games with some gaudy numbers. Now, maybe not 500 plus total yards and six touchdowns passing. Um, perhaps an offense that can average, I would say, a good goal for the rest of the year if they can find a way to do it. 26 points per game. Because if you take that average with what the Bears defense have been able to do, which they're only holding opponents to 16.2 points per game. You better believe the Bears are going to be winning a lot of games down the stretch. What about you, Nick? Any final thoughts about the offense before we head over to the third quarter? Obviously, we've only seen the beginning of this offense, and we've seen what it could be at its you know highest potential, and we've seen it where it could be at its lowest. And you know the Bears have won three of those four games with the offense playing like that. So I think that's encouraging for fans to see that you know although this offense is nowhere even near complete what it can be should be very um, uplifting and just give these bears fans just uh you know, hope that this offense could be not only d- dangerous, but can be this d- the offense can go out and win a game. That doesn't have to be the defense, but we have to wait for that to actually happen. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to call that a half. And so we're in officially in halftime. So for this halftime, I just want to ask you if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, we're over 4,000 subscribers, which is, Really remarkable. I appreciate each and every one of you have taken the time to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Doing so, you get a notification each time we upload a podcast, every time we do a live podcast, which, you know, 90% of our shows are live. And of course, it's a great way to connect with hundreds of other Bears fans in the live chat, especially after post-game shows. We've been on average having about 500 or more fans there talking about the game as we're doing our podcast. And right now it's the bye week and I see over 150 people here as Thursday Night Football is about to begin here listening to us talk about the Bears. And usually I do giveaways for, you know, iTunes reviews and people who cater to the podcast. And I've been starting to feel bad about that. So I want to do something real quick on the spot. Spontaneous. I thought about about two minutes ago. See this mug is brand new. Maybe the light won't glare on it so bad, but it's a brand new mug. No one has it besides me, not even Nick. 
uh, not really officially nope. for sale yet. But if you're live here in the chat, you know, we get the live replay of the chat next to the video. Just type the word mug right now. Just type mug in the chat. And I'm going to pick a random listener, um, pick a number. I'm going to go through it, count to whatever it is. And the next show, I'm going to go ahead and announce who that is or reach out to you or you reach out to us. And I'll send you one of these mugs that are still not officially available yet, but they will be soon. Do we have some mugs going on in there? <laughs> we have a lot of mugs going on right now. That's good. <laughs> there's a, good. There's plenty of mugs. That's exciting. All right. So yeah, good luck to everyone there who is typing the word mug in this chat to enter the spontaneous free mug giveaway of the Bears Brothers. So enjoy that chat, Tristan, uh, moderating that. Uh, appreciate all your work there too, buddy, and everyone else who's been kind of joining the moderating team. But let's just jump right into the third quarter, Nick, and we're going to turn the tables, transition over to the Bears defense, because this is a side of the ball that has just been one word, and that's dominant. Because outside of one bad quarter in week one, and two broken coverages in week three, you know, they've really shut down opponents all season long. So I gave you a rundown of what the offense, um, how they compare in terms of rankings. I'm going to do the same real quick for the defense. They're fourth in yards per game, third in points allowed, 10th against the pass, second against the run, second in turnovers, first in sacks, and they're the sixth best defense on third down. They are 17th in terms of red zone efficiency, but I did mention earlier They are the best defense in terms of keeping opponents out of the red zone, only allowing 1.8 red zone trips per game. So obviously there are, those are very promising rankings for the Bears defense. Now, obviously uh, there is more than, you know, there's more than a lot there to like when it comes to this unit, especially through four games. But I want to know, Nick, what's been your biggest defensive takeaway so far? Man, that's a tough one. My biggest defense. I know there's a lot. There's so many, but it's just, that this defense is what's able to do what it's doing right now, have all those accolades right now. And again, remember Roquan Smith was coming in, not any training camp. Khalil Mack, the same thing. Leonard Floyd was injured. There's a bunch of guys that came in who weren't at their, you know, their highest potential, but still you add up all those defensive players, all those playmakers, Vic Fangio, you add that in there as well. And this defense is like you said, dominant, despite all those things happening. And people coming together for the first time and, you know, playing quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers and Fitzpatrick, who's lighting the world on fire. They have just been able to shut people down, create these turnovers and get after the quarterback again without bringing the blitz. That's what's so impressive about this Bears defense. And that's why, you know, they've been great these first four games. And they've had, like you said, maybe that fourth quarter debacle, a couple of the first quarter debacle against uh, the Arizona Cardinals. But after this bye week, I only expect it to get that much better, which is crazy to say because they've been lights out for, you know, a majority of the games they've been in. So that's what's been so impressive. They've been able to do this despite having the little hiccups that they've had, and they're only going to get better from here. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's all about the attitude that that defense is playing with because they approach the game thinking that they're just going to shut down opponents, and really they have. The defense has been playing super well um, from all the pressures that you created by the front seven, not even having to really lean on the blitz, um, to the secondary getting over that turnover hump and being able to come away with some you know big-time game-altering you know takeaways. It's a defense that is not afraid to take the game in their own hands. Just look at Arizona when they forced that back-to-back-to-back-to-back turnovers, and didn't, they didn't allow a single point after giving up those 14 points on the very first two series. Prince's big-time pick six against Seattle to close the deal, like was my monster moment, is another example. And just don't forget, the Bears shutting down that prolific passing attack that Tampa came into town with last week is just another prime example of the defense 
just taking matters and games really in their own hands. So for me, that's been my biggest takeaway. So I think the next thing we should do is just jump right into uh, the different positions here. And, uh, you know, I want to just preface this. Uh, we're going to start with the defensive line. And I want to begin with saying just I'm so thankful that Akeem Hicks is not going to be sus- sus- mm-hmm. suspended, geez, uh, by pushing that official last week. But looking at the defensive line, what's kind of stuck out to you regarding that unit throughout four games? You know, I think obviously we can we can talk about Akeem Hicks being as dominant as he is, especially being able to just have one-on-one matchups and just completely make people look ridiculous. But I really love the play of Eddie Goldman. And this is a guy who did just get that extension right before um, you know, the season actually began. I think it was right before. And you you don't see it in the stat sheet. But he's just able to clog up running lanes. And, you know, he has, I think, one sack on the season right now. He's been very effective in allowing the linebackers to do what they do, roam free and just get after, you know, running backs. And that's why the Bears have been so good against the run. But Eddie Goldman on that defensive line is a difference maker. And there's also been guys that have stepped up at times. We see a Bilal Nichols last game make a tremendous play in the backfield. You see at times Roy Robertson Harris and uh, Jonathan Bullard at times make plays. So there's been some contributions from guys that, um, yeah, they're not the big marquee guy, but they're they're making contributions. But I think the play of Eddie Goldman's just been outstanding through four games. Yeah, I mean he has because like he's, I mean he's fourth in the team in total pressures. He has a sack, and he's just been doing a great job of doing exactly what you want on your nose tackle too, which is eating up space and really keeping those Bears inside backers clean. Speaking of another player that I'm excited about, Bilal Nichols, because he has played really well in his limited action because he's only played 50 snaps in four games. He played 33 last week after Akeem Hicks, uh, was, of course, was ejected. But he leads the team with three tackles for a loss. So our rookie fifth-round pick right there, Bilal Nichols out of Delaware, he's leading the team in tackles for a loss despite only playing 50 snaps throughout the first four games. Akeem Hicks, I mean, what more do you want me to say besides his name? I think it's just it's synonymous mm-hmm. now, like, Hicks, dominance, he does it week in, week out. Uh, just to kind of put it in perspective for the year, at least, uh, despite him only being able to play in about three and a quarter game, uh, he's still on pace for 12 sacks, 60 total pressures, and eight forced fumbles this season, which, if, I mean, obviously reaching all those are going to be uh, difficult, but just to know he's on that kind of pace, that uh, you know, that momentum, it's very exciting to see. What's your take on uh, the whole John Bullard, Roy Robinson-Harris thing? They've been, we haven't had to talk about them much, which, you know, on a defense where you have playmakers across the board, it's not a bad thing. I don't think they've been a liability in any in any regard, but also they haven't really been super impactful. I think each have had their moments, but as a whole, nothing overly great. Yeah, nothing overly great, but they're not hurting the team so much. Um, it's interesting because we wanted one of these guys to really emerge as the guy to take that spot, but I think you. Know, just based off of four games, uh, it's really going to be a rotating door between those two guys, and they each have their own strengths and weaknesses. But you do want to see one of them, I guess, outshine the other, just to just to have more depth along the offensive or the defensive line. Uh, to say that it doesn't just have to be Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, obviously Cleo Mack, just getting after the QB. But um, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing right now. Obviously, you want to see more moving forward. But yeah, I think maybe just maybe we approached it wrong in the offseason wanting to see that guy emerge but like i said more production out of the two is definitely not going to hurt this team i mean they do lead the league in sacks for a reason and if they're able to contribute in that aspect of the game it's over with for opposing offenses 
And it's, yeah, and it's not like teams are able to really establish a run against us either. So I think these two combined are a very quality, you know, defensive end that kind of can be opposite of Akeem Hicks, like we've talked about. Um, but also, I mean, you just get really excited about what Bilal Nichols can maybe potentially, you know, blossom into at that position too. Like I like that he's coming in there fresh in the middle of drives and really being able to make his mark. Um, so I really like where, you know, the defensive line rotation is kind of falling right now in terms of giving everyone some opportunities because they're doing a good job with them. I really think so. Even if John Bowler doesn't have the most, you know, lottie of numbers, he's out there, he's eating up space, he's making a couple plays as well, a few tackles. And Roy Robinson-Harris, uh, more times than not, you do see him putting up some pressures as well. So even if he's not hitting his home as much as some guys like Nakeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, I mean, who can do, uh, you know, keep up with Khalil Mack anyway? Uh, I think his impact has been truly felt by some opposing quarterbacks. All right, let's take a look at the outside linebackers. Now, obviously, we need to start with uh, the defensive player of the month, Khalil Mack, because, you know, he's been here for just that, a month. But I think that we're all beyond pleased with what we've seen out of Mack so far. He has, you know, he's all up there in the sacks. Uh, I think he's like a half sack out of first place in the NFL. Uh, he has those four strip sacks all in a row, one per game, which is uh, tied in NFL record. And, of course, he leads the team with in, uh, in total pressures as well. So, Nick, we don't need to reflect too much on Mac, even though we can probably dedicate an entire podcast episode just to that. But do you anticipate him being even more impactful as we kind of gear on to the next 12 games? I think so, because I think the other guys like Roquan Smith, Leonard Floyd are going to be even better. So then, I mean, yes, you ha- you have to double team Khalil Mack. You just have to, unless you want your quarterback on the ground and another strip sack fumble. But this is a guy, it, he's not going to slow down because that's just who he is as a person. He wants to be the best defensive player in football, and he doesn't have this ego to him. He just works so damn hard, to be completely honest. And that's great to have in a guy who's such a dominant player. So I don't expect it to slow down. It shouldn't slow down. The way he puts the work in each and every week and doing this despite coming to a team late and being new and coming to this new system. And obviously his job's a little bit more simpler than others. Get the quarterback on the ground, get the QB is his main job. But you even see him dropping back in coverage is able to guard, you know, cover people in that aspect and the run to be able to stuff the run the way he does. I do expect him to do what he's done through four games, continuing on with the rest of the season. It's just, he's a freak of nature and it's great to have him on team. And again, thank you, John Gruden. (laughs) The weekly thank you to John Gruden. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, looking at the rest, I don't need to talk about Mac anymore. Again, I, I could, uh, for the sake of time, though, we're just kind of roll on here. Leonard Floyd, I think he's really primed to break out here, of course, once he gets that cast off his hand. He only has the six tackles and the one sack, um, despite not really being able to hit home with that cast. Um, he also has two passes defense, um, including that one last week. I don't know if you saw it from your view, Nick, but he got way up there to bat that ball down. Some great athletic ability. From Leonard Floyd, so you know he's been doing a lot of little things well too, affecting effective at maintaining the edge, uh, containing the run, pushing ball carriers back inside. Which, for a guy who's known purely as a speed rusher coming out of college, uh, these are great signs that he's developing to a more complete outside linebacker than just a pure speed rusher. So even though he's not getting those sacks, um, they're going to come and they're going to come quickly. And I believe that uh, his growth in the other aspects of his game should maybe have Bears fans uh, more excited than maybe they have been. I feel like that's been a little underrated so far this season and kind of looking down the rest of the list here, Aaron Lynch. I mean, he's had a much bigger impact than we expected. I mean, we didn't see him out preseason, all training camp. Didn't know if he's even going to make the team, but here he is. He has two sacks and he also leaves the bears with four quarterback hits. What's your takeaway on uh, Aaron Lynch's impact? I really like where he is in this rotation. 
Yeah, so do I. And I really like how he's able to just collapse the pocket. You can never have too many guys that are able to do that as well as he has been with the limited amount of reps that he's had. And again, this is a guy that we were counting out right from the very beginning because we didn't see anything from him. But he's it's just a good asset to have, good depth to have, especially now. Unfortunately, Sam Acho being out the year, out for the year with that pectoral injury. You have a guy like Aaron Aaron Lynch who's used to Vic Fangio, who is you know, showed some effectiveness through four games. So I really do like where he's at. He doesn't have to be that world beater every single play, but I've liked what I've seen in the limited amount of time he's played. And, you know, that's just another guy that offenses have to worry about. Yep. And someone who offenses don't have to worry about anymore. And I'm not really making a joke out of this, but of course, Sam Macho, he's going to be out for the season right now with a torn pec, which is very unfortunate because Sam, he's such a great guy um, off the field. He really has high character, you know, person who does a lot of good for the community as well. Very well respected in that locker room. And you know, he's someone who he's been in the system for quite some time now under Fangio. And I think they really trusted him out there to do, you know, not just drop back in coverage, but also, you know, play against a run, uh, get in there, attack the passer as well. Sam Macho did a lot of little things. I think we all agree that he lacks some athleticism, which has kind of led to him not being, you know, a starting outside linebacker. Um, but still, I think we're going to have some sort of impact from him not being a part of this rotation. So, Nick, I mean, that's the question. What kind of impact do you anticipate it having? Um, you know, I think with Leonard Floyd coming into his own, that really does bring another element to this outside linebacker group. I know Sam Macho, uh, you know, he and he did a, he did a great job last year being the starter, just, you know, doing his job, not being a liability out there. I don't think it's going to hurt the Bears too much, though. When you add a guy like Khalil Mack on, at you know, that position, have Aaron Lynch playing the way that he is. It's not just collapsing the pocket, like I said earlier for Lynch. He's able to play the run pretty effectively as well, just setting the edge. And you saw him out in coverage getting that interception against uh, Jameis Winston last week. So I'm not too worried about the outside linebackers. If they get another injury, though, that's where things can get a little iffy because let's say you have an Aaron Lynch go down. Leonard Floyd hasn't shown that he can be a guy that can stay healthy all season. And now you just have Khalil Mack, which might be enough, to be completely honest, because he is that kind of guy. But, yeah, you don't want to have another injury at that position. So at this moment, I just had an Eureka uh, that earlier when I was talking about the strength and conditioning, I only mentioned the players that are currently on you know, the injury list. I forgot to add Sam Macho, who is on mm-hmm. IR. So we had 10 at this point last year. Now we have one. Not too bad. 10% of last year's total. I'll take that. All right, so let's move on to the inside linebackers. Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith, for the love of God, let's not talk about Nick Wachowski. I don't think we need to do that in this episode. Uh, but Danny Trevathan, you know, he's been right around the ball, leads the team in total tackles of 24. He had the interception last week, two passes defense, two sacks, and a forced fumble, and even a fumble recovery. And then a Roquan Smith, someone who has, I think, really gotten better um, each and every time that he's gone out there, every game, every snap, every rep. I think Roquan Smith is just getting better. And, you know, he's really good in space. He's taking those great angles. He can close up on guys really like no other. He's also very solid in coverage and also when coming in on the blitz. I'm very excited about the future between this duo and the inside. Are you? Oh, I mean, this uh, to have those kind of guys with the skill set that they bring to the position, that's exciting. And just seeing Roquan Smith do what he's done so far with, again, not being here the entire offseason, just showing that athleticism. It, it is exciting to see your number eight overall pick going out and playing, you know, some good football. Just obviously needs to, you know, close out on some tackles, make some secure tackles. That's a big thing for him. But, yeah, Danny Trevathan, like I already alluded to him earlier, why uh, he would be my MVP if it wasn't Khalil Mack. 
But yeah, that inside linebacker duo is, is a special one, especially because in this day and age in the NFL, it's all about passing and you want to have linebackers that can get deep in coverage and they definitely have the skill set to do just that. Exactly. I think Roquan Smith, you mentioned it. He just needs to uh, play a little bit more sound in terms of wrapping those guys up. And I think it all just comes through relaxing a little bit because he's, sometimes he's playing too fast. I mean, he has mm-hmm. so much speed, but he's just playing a little bit overly fast instead of uh, you know reacting and just instinctually doing something. He's trying to overcompensate. And so for him, uh, solving that would definitely be something worthwhile. All right, Nick, let's go ahead and look at the secondary. This is a unit that has played, you know, obviously really well. Uh, They played really well a year ago, and you can just tell that they're taking that next step now, especially now that the front seven is consistently getting pressure, getting after quarterbacks. Uh, Prince Mukamara, Kyle Fuller, Bryce Callahan, uh, even if you can want to bring up Tyler here, out of the cornerbacks, what's your biggest takeaway? You know, I'm really impressed with the play. You know, I shouldn't even actually be impressed by this, but Bryce Callahan, I think, is just a stud. To be completely honest, he doesn't get the recognition that, um, you know, from outside of uh, maybe Chicagoland area, but he is really good at just covering that slot receiver, which is so essential in an offense just to have that inside receiver just make plays, you know, convert the chains. But Bryce Callahan being able to stick to his man and just not be a liability out there is just fantastic. And he's been healthy, which is great to see. But overall, you know, just as a secondary standpoint, just creating turnovers. And that's exactly what we want to see. Eddie Jackson's becoming a guy where it's not just he had a breakout rookie year. He can be, you know, a Pro Bowl type safety. That's why he has the instincts to do it. And not you can't teach that. You you just have instincts. And that's what Eddie Jackson has. Adrian Amos, he's been he's been solid, you know, uh making tackles uh in, in the running game. And then you have Kyle Fuller, Prince of Mukamura. Uh I think Kyle, you want to see him finish. That's the big thing with him, you know, whether it's breaking up a pass. Catching that interception against uh, Green Bay. But Prince, uh, you know, with him just staying healthy now. Obviously, he had that hamstring injury, just being able to stay healthy because I've also been impressed with his game, just being able to stay with people and clinch that game against Seattle, really. I mean, yeah, you said it all. I think Adrian Amos, uh, like you said, he's been solid in terms of uh, wrapping guys up, but he hasn't made any plays in the ball yet. No passes defense, no interceptions. I want to kind of see him be a little bit more aggressive with the ball in the air. Eddie Jackson. Again, three passes defense, two interceptions right now. I mean, the the kid is for real, and I'm very excited about his potential. Uh, he also had an interception that was called back, so he could have had three so far this year. Bryce Callahan, uh, not is he not just a great cover corner, especially in the slot, but he's very aggressive um, in the screen game, very aggressive against the run. Uh, he's not shying away from hits. Uh, you know, some cornerbacks do, but he does not. Uh, Prince Mukamara as well. Uh, he had the his reason why he was my monster moment. And I think he's really playing confidently, so I can't wait to get him back out there on the field. And Kyle Fuller, only three plays come to mind when I think of Kyle Fuller this season. Mm-hmm. The two big touchdowns that he gave up and then the dropped interception. So not that's a lot of negative, but also outside of that, he's been someone who we haven't had to talk about, and that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good thing. He hasn't been targeted. He's still the most targeted bear, just like he was a, week, uh, a year ago. But last year he led the NFL in targets, and he's not there right now. So things are getting better for Kyle Fuller. I expect him to... I don't say recover a rebound because I think he already has in a way because the last two weeks he's been shutting down his guys. And he had a hard task, you know, last week against Tampa Bay and he did a really decent job. So for me, uh, all these guys, of course, as a whole, have been playing really, really well. And I think they can thank the guys in front of them for helping them out. And I'm excited to see how this entire defense as a whole kind of, you know, gels throughout the rest of the year. Because right now, 
it can't get much better. Um, but the, sad, the scary thing is, I think we it can't. I think there's a lot more potential kind of waiting to kind of you know be unleashed, untapped, if you will. So real quick, uh, biggest strength on the defense to date, and the biggest weakness if they have one. They don't have one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the biggest strength you got to go at the front seven. Just what you know, each and every week this defense been able to bring against opposing quarterbacks. They most likely every quarterback that the Bears are going to face is going to hate playing this defense just because whether it's the first quarter, second quarter, this defense coming after you. And we've seen at times where the pass rush has, you know, taken a step back, maybe not be able to get that sack with the pressures are there. So that's easily the strength, but I, I think the weakness, um, and we've seen it a couple of times when a team wants to go up tempo, make those quick passes, you can get some yardage against the bears. You can score against the bears when you start to do that. And we saw that a lot. Uh, I mean, obviously, in that second half against Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers getting the ball out quick and, you know, explain some of the holes in the Bears defense. And you saw it with Russell Wilson as well, going hurry up with that uh, high tempo offense. So I think just game planning for that. Where should people be? Should you play more press coverage? Should you guys have maybe your linebackers drop back into coverage where those short passes are going to be? But I think that would be the one weakness. And we, we there's so many strengths. And I just alluded to the front seven being one of them. I think it is. I mean, you can give it to the secondary, but I don't think the secondary plays as good if you don't have that front seven. It's kind of the yin and yang kind of you know situation there. But yeah, the front seven, you know, not only are they really good at getting after the quarterbacks, but just shutting down the run. Opponents have had no chance of ever establishing the run against the Bears so far this season. And it all kind of comes back to the front seven. And my weakness, I'm going to say miscommunication and giving up those big plays. I think a lot of the big plays we saw so far this year came from busted coverages, especially against Arizona. And if you clean those up, if you make sure everyone's on the same page, you understand your assignments, if you hold on to your guys uh, for the appropriate amount of time in your zones, then I think this defense takes that next step. So for me, uh, just communication. And I think the communication has been really solid this year. I just think there's uh, just a handful of instances where it's not. And if they want to become an elite defense, you know, maybe the best in the league, you find a way to make sure that doesn't become an issue uh, after the bye week. So, Speaking of the bye week, of course it is the bye week, but uh, just like we did for the offense coach, what's going to be your bye week adjustment? If do you even have one? I mean, why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, that's obviously something that can be applied with this defense. Um, you know, they're only going to get, hopefully they get healthy now with Prince Mukamara coming back and uh, taking his cornerback spot. But I, I like what they're doing right now. They're not having to, pressure the quarterback by bringing the blitz. I think you should continue that. That allows, um, you know, to confuse defense or confuse opposing offenses with dropping more people in the coverage. Just let Khalil Mack run free. Roquan Smith's going to get better. I, I really don't have any adjustments. Vic Fangio is doing a fantastic job with this defense. I mean, they're, you know, the leaders in all these statistical categories for a reason. I would just leave it as is. And, you know, it'll just get better with the continuity that these new players are now bringing in Leonard Floyd and healthy as well bring all added all that in together this defense like you said we were joking around can they get better well yes they can yeah it's gonna be scary once they do because if i know one thing about vic fangio defenses they tend to get better over the course of the season and with a healthy unit one that's already playing this high you know at this high of a level it's very exciting because this is a unit they're in the top five or ten in the most statistical categories it's really hard not to um expect them to continue to shut down opponents throughout this season which it's very exciting if you're a Bears fan to see what what that can do for you know the course of the season, how the Bears kind of pan out in terms of not just the division, but maybe even the conference as we kind of look into our fourth quarter here. 
<laughs> so real quickly, special teams, do you have anything? Especially, I liked what I've seen from Cody Parkey. Uh, you know, he's made his feel. Obviously, uh, he had um, the one miss. But Cody Parkey's been uh, a guy that you can rely on, which is so encouraging because the offense is not always going to score touchdowns. And we've already seen that this season. But having him uh, be able to do what he's done so far, it's encouraging to see. And Tariq Cohen, um, I just want to see more opportunities for that guy because he's going to break it at some point. He's definitely a guy that will put the offense in better positions more times than he's going to put them in bad positions. And I, I like what he's doing in the return game, being more decisive with his cuts and, you know, moving upfield. So I like that from the special teams aspect. Absolutely. Real quick, just to add some stats behind your claims, Cody Parkey is 9 of 10, 90% so far, you know, field goals. Uh, and Tariq Cohen, he's averaging 12.8 yards per punt return on his 11 returns so far. So like you said, really benefiting the offense, giving them some more favorable field position. Speaking of punts, the Bears as a team, they're eighth in net punting, being able to really limit returns on any punts from opponents, which is a very good sign to be top 10 in that. Of course, you're giving opponents longer fields to work with. And I thought it was an interesting little nugget here. Throughout four games, the Bears have only had three kick returns, uh, only averaging about 20 yards per return. Um, but just interesting that you have more games than actual kick returns because <laughs> 10 years ago, that wasn't a thing, especially with, you know, with Evan Hester here, of course, but really around the league, you even if you kept opponents off the scoreboard at least I mean if they kick field goals but the amount of touchbacks this year I guess has been not surprising because of all the rule changes but just it's interesting to see how the game that part of the game is kind of being phased out just a little bit all right so up next we're going to go ahead and grade uh the first four games and then we're going to attempt to do the impossible here and answer some voicemails live right here on the show something we haven't done yet so real quickly before we get to those Nick, what's going to be your grade through the first four games of the year? You know, I think uh, because the Bears, I don't think, have had a bad game. They've had a bad quarter. They've had a bad half. So through the first four games, I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a B. They are three and one. They're three and one and they could easily be four and oh, but I'll give it B and just on the borderline of a B plus. Um, I didn't expect this offense to really click in the beginning, but we saw what last week could be. And the defense has just played lights out. But through four games, um, you want to see more consistency, you know, throughout an entire game from both sides of the ball. And so I'll have to give it a B. All right. I'm going to give it a B plus because you're just one quarter away from, honestly, not just 4-0, but having this grade B of, you know, an A. Of course, you know, the argument can be made that, you know, 3-1-2 and one, two, uh, after four games is A territory because, Coming into this year, we thought, hey, if they can be two and two at this point at the bye, we'd be in really good shape. But the Bears are actually a game ahead of that and only one point away from being, you know, perfect so far this season. But there are a couple games where the offense struggled more than maybe it should have, and they left some points up within the table. Um, but you know, yeah, that in the fourth quarter collapse at Lambeau, you give it a B plus. I mean, you win three games, uh, you win the last one in convincing fashion. Uh, really, not just inspires the fan base, but you can tell the locker room's having a lot of fun as well. So they're going to become believers in themselves. So for me, it couldn't have gone much better. I think the only change would have been, of course, how week one kind of ended out. Um, but besides that, even though there were offensive struggles, I'm very excited about the direction that this team is heading. And real quickly, just check Twitter, uh, the podcast poll. Uh, I asked fans to, of course, grade the first quarter of the season. 36% gave it an A, 62% gave it a B, and 3% gave it a C. So I think if you do that, the average does come out to about the B-plus range. So that's where we are kind of grading right now. 
which means it's time to go ahead and answer some fan questions via voicemail. Uh, so we're pulling it out of the audio mailbag just for this week to try something a little bit new. Maybe we can make it a staple in some of our shows as well. But the first question, it comes from Isaac. He has a couple of really good questions, actually, that I'm excited to get to. Hey, this is Isaac from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Love the show and got two questions for you. The first one is, do you think, do you guys think that Kevin Tolliver has played well enough to supplant Marcus Cooper for the backup cornerback role? And my second question is, do you guys think that this bye week is going to affect them positively, negatively, or not at all? Thanks, guys. Love the show. All right. So, yeah, thank you, Isaac, for those really good questions. And, Nick, I want to hand it over to you first, especially the Kevin Tolliver. Do you think he's done enough to uh, surplant Marcus Cooper for the backup cornerback role, say, when Marcus Cooper is healthy? Oh, that's a good question because we've seen Marcus Cooper now almost transition into that nickel spot a little bit. He's a guy that was originally on the outside, but I think just seeing how God awful he really is, they're like, here, let's move you inside. And I don't think that's not where Tolliver plays. But in terms of actually on the outside, I think Tolliver showed last week he kept everything in front of him. These this is a good Bucks uh, receiving group, and nothing really got behind him. That's what you want to see out of a you know undrafted free agent, a guy um, who didn't show much in, in the, the preseason and didn't think he was honestly going to make this team. But in terms of the outside spot, yes. But I think Cooper only stays ahead of him because he does provide that versatility and being able he's able to go outside. You don't want to see that. He has moved to the inside just because he probably can't play outside. Yeah, I, I think I would rather have Kevin Tolliver out there in the outside corner if we had to choose between the two. Uh, I know his stats aren't the prettiest, but he's someone who has no experience in the NFL level. He has Well, he has a little bit now, but coming into it, he had none. Where Marcus Cooper, he's a veteran. He should be better than he is now. So I think for the Bears' long-term you know, success, uh, especially for Tolliver, I think you just kind of ride him out because he has not. he's kept everything in front of him. He's rarely been beat deep where Marcus Cooper – you see the blown coverages, you see the miscommunications, you see him stumble with his feet. So for me, easy one, I would give Tolliver the edge here. Uh, hopefully the Bears kind of see it the same way we do here. And the second part of that question about the bye week, do you anticipate it being uh, having a negative effect, a positive effect, and no effect? And I'll begin, I think it's going to have a positive effect because I think that's just how this team is kind of built and how they're made and their philosophy behind it. I think they're going to take it as a week to look in the mirror and improve upon their craft to get better I understand that maybe the timing wasn't great. Even Trey Burton tweeted out, like, worst time to have a bye week because of the huge monster performance that the offense had. But I think if this team is going to be one that can really make a case down the stretch come December to playing some real meaningful football, they better find a way to make this bye week a positive. If they take it as a week off and they come out flat in Miami, you know, a game that we're going to uh, be traveling down to, I'm going to be very disappointed, not just because I traveled all the way to watch that game, but... I believe this team is better than that. In years past, under you know Tressman, under Fox, we kind of saw that lull after the bye. But I think this team um, is coached better. Um, it has better leadership um, due to just the veteran presence. And, of course, these coaches now in the locker room. And I anticipate them making sure, uh, doing everything they need possible to make sure this bye week gets them you know not just ready for the Miami Dolphins game, not just for the Patriots right after, but as a stepping stone for the rest of the season. Because 3-1 is a great start. They know they have 12 more games to go, and each one matters. So the bye week is a great time to kind of reset, refocus, and stay hungry. What about you, Nick? 
You know, I think I would have preferred if the bye week was a little later in the season, but it's coming at a good time for the Bears right now. And I know Burton tweeted out what he tweeted out. And obviously, yes, you have the offense rolling. You just want to keep that momentum going. But it, it gives a chance for, obviously, guys to get healthy, to regroup, to not just, okay, we, we did so well this last game. It has to translate over. Okay, give it a little break and let it kind of ease in. Now let's go back in the game plan for another week and just let this sit for a little How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. Bit and now going into a Miami team that is going to be game playing just as well, just as hard because they got blown out and shut out. Both these teams are going to be coming in with this mindset let's start over, get fresh again, let's try to put up another performance like we once did. Um, but like you said, Will, we've seen teams, Bears teams come out of the bye and just look awful. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Nagy took a different approach, allowing his guys to have a full week off as opposed to having, I think, one or two practices during the week, which was in the old regime. So I do like that, you know, just let the guys do their thing. They know they're going to come back focused, ready to play, ready just to continue the season because you're three and one right now on top of the NFC North. I know this team wants to continue to have that success. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's head over to our second voicemail, which comes from Jay, who, even though the question is maybe a little bit more retrospective than I thought at this point, I think he brings up a very interesting point about that week one loss. Hey, Bears Bros, Jay here. And... I have a question for you. After that uh, horrific fourth quarter in the first game, I ain't going to speak a little, you know, I'm not going to speak about that too much. But, um, you know, after losing that, we won three straight. And uh, so I guess my question is, do you think it would have been better for us to, obviously we're sitting in a good situation right now, you know, three and one going into our bye. But do you think it would have been a good situation for us, like a better situation for us to lose to Green Bay? or beat Green Bay, you know, like if if we did end up beating Green Bay, do you still think we'd be sitting at 3-1, and one, possibly even 4-0 and oh right now? Or do you think we'd be 1-3? and three? I don't know, kind of a weird question. But, yeah, anyways, bear down. Thanks for the question, Jay. I don't think it's a weird question because that game could have gone in different ways. If you win, does that give the Bears a little bit of a bigger head than maybe they could have had at that time? Again, going back to my bye week thing, I feel like this team is built – um, not just with the leadership, um, but also the players around it to not really take that route. But I can see where you would assume that, right? You beat the Packers. <clears throat> you're in like an all-time high right after week one. Maybe week two, Monday night, you have a letdown against Seattle. Then doubt starts creeping in. And Arizona is a little bit closer than we would already like regardless. So imagine what could have happened there. And I don't know, Nick, what do you think? Do you think it was a good thing to actually lose to Green Bay? I mean, I hate to say it. Um, I mean, you always want to beat the Packers. But did it maybe... Uh, kind of put things in perspective that the Bears are like, hey, we're close, but we need to work a little bit harder. No, I think what's a good way to think about this is how the Bears could have rebound losing to Green Bay in that heartbreaker. They rebounded well because they won the next three games, but had they come out just devastated, like thinking we had it and you know we just let it go, that can really derail a team right from the very beginning. But obviously being so early in the season, it's kind of hard for that to to really come out to fruition. But you know, I think what it showed the Bears losing that that heartbreaker is that 
they have to play an entire game. And we've seen it a little by little where this team has started to play an entire game. You know, in Seattle's it was getting there and then they have their lulls. And you know, Arizona's a beginning and then they start to play. And then you see Tampa Bay. That's complete game. Offense, defense, special teams. They learn from this Packers loss that, you know, even a quarter, you mess up in just one quarter, that could lose you a game. So, you know, obviously, I, we would have loved to see the Bears be, you know, beat the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay, but they did learn something from it. So you, you could take it either way, but I think it was a good thing for them to lose because now they learned how to actually win. I think it's going to help them out later on in the season, too, when uh, Green Bay comes to town. So we'll get there in a minute because it's time to enter our two minute warning. And we're going to do this a little bit differently, Nick. I know we're a little pressed on time because you have a great interview coming up this you know, this evening and you're kind of ready for that. I know that's coming up here in just a matter of moments. Uh, so for this two-minute morning, I just want to look, at the, look ahead of the rest of the season because the Bears are 3-1, first in the North. They have a score differential of a plus 48, which is the best in the division by far. And it seems like things are all coming together. But there are 12 games left, four of which are against teams that currently have winning records, only four of the 12. Um, I know it's early, so these are going to change as we kind of go throughout the season. Um, and 42% of these 12 games are against divisional uh, opponents. So let's break out the crystal ball. And I want to know, like, what do you think we're about to watch unfold here for the rest of the year? 12 games? Uh, how do you think they're going to kind of split those up? You know, we'll just take it quarter by quarter, right? Just the old Lovey Smith way. In this next quarter, you have the AFC East, basically. You have the Dolphins, Patriots, Jets and Buffalo Bills. And two of those teams have rookie quarterbacks. Obviously, you play the GOAT in Tom Brady, but it's Miami Dolphins game. Let's see what Bears team comes out of this bye week. The, the, a team that can comes out fast, is able to rush Tannehill, and just, you know, build off that offensive performance. That's going to play, you know, dividends moving forward. And I think it, this, is a, this is a period right now, these next four games, the Bears can easily win three of these. You're sitting, you know, maybe six and two. I mean, that, and then you have obviously these divisional games left, but I'm just looking at, I'm just looking for the next four weeks. And I think the bears have a really prime time chance to just be able to win a majority of those games, especially playing rookie quarterbacks. I know at times they've looked good in Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, but you don't want to put those guys against the bears defense. You really don't. So it's looking good so far out of this bye week And obviously we'll be at the Miami game. So we're hoping that good things come out of that game against uh, the dolphins. I like your quarterly approach, and it's probably something that we're going to do here on the podcast. But for me, I had a difficult time not looking out to the rest of the schedule here. And my new kind of record prediction, uh, I think 11-5 and five is super obtainable now, which is very exciting. Like, I even tried to, like, I was like, ooh, like, here, this is how I have it going on. And this is early. Beating Miami, losing to New England, thanks Tom Brady, uh, beating the Jets, beating the Bills, beating Detroit, losing to Minnesota the first time. Um, because I think the first time you face them, um, they're going to want to kind of close the gap in the division by then. You're going to lose back-to-back divisional games here. I have them losing to Detroit in Thanksgiving because Detroit usually plays really well on Thanksgiving. And then you beat the Giants, lose to the Rams, but I, I think it's going to be much closer than we anticipate. And then you finish off with a win against Green Bay. Not going to let them beat you twice. A win against San Francisco. And then you have Minnesota to wrap it up. And that time you find a way to beat them. And you finish 11-5. to And that's a pretty damn good season. So that's where I'm at. We'll see. I'm very optimistic. We're going to playoffs, baby. That that eleven and five, we are going to the playoffs. And I feel like that's even like, I feel like that's like a good spot. Like I feel like even though like I have them losing Minnesota and Detroit back to back, there's a good chance that doesn't happen. So I think like mm-hmm. this team has a lot of potential. The schedule's kind of lining up. They just need to take advantage and not take a week off. And if they do that, 
yeah, I don't like to whip out the P word here and you know, week five in the bye week, but playoffs, it's uh it's getting real. It's getting real. Three and one. But we'll yes. see because twenty thirteen they started off three and one and look what happened. So I know it's a different team, different regime. We'll see exactly how it all unfolds. Nick, any final thoughts before I wrap it up? No, I'm just really looking forward to this next game. We're all going to be in Miami for it. It's going to be an awesome experience. We're going to have a bunch of the Bears Brothers fans there all wearing uh, this cool custom-made shirt, which will get to people's households eventually. But it's going to be awesome. It's going to be such a great experience. What? I was like, they're they're getting shipped. I have mine. Brandon has I know, his. Eventually. I have 12. Just You're just waiting just on yours. sent me the, the shipping information. I didn't even know it was coming. Well, ta-da, surprise. <laughs> All right, so for me, real quickly, you know, I'm excited because as a Bears fan, you know, this is perhaps the most excited I've been in a very long time. I know that there's a long way to go, but this does seem like a fun rest of the season ahead for all of us. I'm looking forward to seeing how the Bears match up to some of the challenges ahead, especially like New England uh, in the media future, and then, of course, the Rams as we kind of get down the stretch. Uh, But perhaps what's most encouraging is looking at each of these games and knowing, honestly, the Bears have a chance in every single one of them. The Bears were one of the better teams in the early portion of the season. And the best part is that we all know, like we talked about throughout the majority of the show, that there's still plenty of potential just waiting uh, on both sides of the ball. They both have room to grow and room to improve. And once they take those next steps, it's really hard to envision that this team won't be in the thick of the playoff hunt really come December. All they need to do is take it one week at a time. Don't underestimate some of these lesser talented opponents. Come out each week with something to prove and, We'll find out if this success is sustainable or not. But Miami in a week, like you said, Nick, can't wait to take this trip. It's going to be a lot of fun. And honestly, I just can't wait for the bye week to be over so we can just get back to talking about, uh, you know, projecting out the games, predicting games, previewing games, and then, of course, some game recaps. So it's, it's fun to take a week off and kind of reflect on the early portion. But it gets real, real quick here with the next 12 weeks being, you know, straight games. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. I hope that you, this episode really helped you pass the time along during this very long bye week. Up next, I'm going to be sharing an excellent inter- interview that I actually had earlier today with an author. Uh, his name is Bobby Peters, and he is a brilliant football mind that provided a ton of valuable information and insight about some of the concepts and player utilization that we've seen from Matt Nagy's offense so far. So look for that to be in your feeds. I'm assuming Friday night, if not first thing Saturday morning. But until then, Bear down, Chicago. Bear down.